Welcome to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Now your host, Dave Winogren. Welcome to the show that brings together government and industry leaders to accelerate government mission outcomes. On today's episode, we'll be covering climate change and the federal government's efforts to harness technology in addressing climate issues. Our first guest on today's show is Pete Saronis, the founder and CEO of Dots and Bridges LLC, former CTO at both the Departments of Energy and Department of Education, and an industry leader of the act Climate Change Working Group. Welcome to the show, Pete. Hey, what's up, Big Dave? Good to see you, my man. It is awesome to have you on the show with us. And uh, I want to thank you both for your leadership of our climate change efforts and also for the important role that you play in the community in connecting people and ideas to drive more innovative solutions. So why don't we start with just a quick little background on you. Tell us about Dots and Bridges and some of the things you and your organization are working on. Well, uh, I appreciate that. And again, it's exciting to be uh, still connected to the wonderful federal government. I know, Dave, your history and this idea of, you know, dot connecting and bridge building, it's innate in some of us, uh, it seems a little more natural, but that, uh, the name of the company, Dots and Bridges, that's it. I think we all, we use the phrases quite a bit, but uh, when I was in government um, as the CTO and as a you know, CIO kind of guy, and, and even as an upstart, it was just, I loved meeting people in other agencies. And, and you know, um, that's a key role of federal work and understanding the passion and then the mission of agencies. And, you know, coming out into industry eight years ago, thereabouts, I, I've realized now and respect more than ever how hard it is for industry, you know, to sell into, call in, or even just meet. And uh, I say, hey, uh, that's the job, right? We have to figure out um, through ACT-IAC and, and, and organizations, of course, you know, like yours and being led by you, Dave, having walked that walk. I'm just the same guy that I was in government, man. I, I like to knock on doors. I'm very curious. And I, I uh, professionally found a niche, which is with all the wonderful, well-intentioned um, organizations, whether it's around climate or cybersecurity or topics, there's always an opportunity to teach. And you hope that the person you're teaching to is actually listening. Excellent. Climate change is a global imperative. It's not just a national imperative. It's a global imperative. And it's such a broad topic. So I was thinking maybe we could bound things for today's conversation by having you just sketch out a little bit about what are some top climate issues that the federal government and the federal technology market are currently focused on? Yeah, it's um, a great question. I think it's the, the ultimate topic. I feel whether you're at home on the weekend or my mother or mother-in-law are reading about uh, climate change, climate crisis, environmental impact, environmental justice, energy justice, it all is coming together at a time where the bipartisan infrastructure law, the Inflation Reduction Act, the Chips and Science Act, if you just Google the word climate or environmental impact terms, you'll see it's laced throughout. And I think, you know, I joked at uh, the ACT-IAC uh, member meeting at the beginning of the year that I think it's the new C word in government, climate. Cybersecurity is ever present and always there, but cybersecurity is morphed into more how do we secure our cyber and physical infrastructure? And I think climate change, which we're seeing, I mean, it was 80 degrees here yesterday and my in-laws in Michigan were dealing with ice storms. It's not a, to me, a, uh, it's a bipartisan topic, Dave. And I think technology, as we're going to showcase in April, uh, and, and people talk about is if you read an article on, you know, how AI or how machine learning or how visualization and advanced analytics are helping our friends at NOAA, 
the meteorologists, um, the supercomputing are developing information based on data and information, and, and in many cases, government uh, data that's being generated, uh, how we can combat this crisis. And it is, it's, it's environmental. Think of data centers and too much heat, or think of something that shuts down a data center because it's too cold. It impacts mission. And I think that's how we've been able to connect the dot of technology and what underpins uh, the very infrastructure we need to do our jobs. And that's where I feel like if people peel back the onion on the bipartisan infrastructure law, for example, it's really addressing climate impact on the 16 sectors deemed most critical in our country. Yeah, I think, you know, that's that was a really great way to sort of frame it because it is something that affects all of us in our personal lives. But particularly, I'll say for our audience, which tends to be technology leaders from government and industry. I mean, there's a lot of talk right now about it like technology solutions and how can they be applied to these challenges? And so what are some of your thinking around, you know, I'll say creating the energy with our audience around like, how can, how are some ways that technology can be applied to the challenges that we face? Yeah, it's a great question. And I I think, you know, all you have to do is look at executive order 14008, executive order 14057, uh, Google climate, federal government, go to performance.gov and and read the strategic plans, just the exact summaries, and you'll see there's most likely a priority or strategic goal related to climate. So breaking that down and peeling it back, everybody in the audience of ACT-IAC knows that technology is not the problem, but it's also not a silver bullet. I feel personally, but I also know we're going to convey this in April, is it's about mitigating risk from the cyber you know, security concerns to the physical security. I think that's where climate is something we can resonate with at home, right? With weather, with uh, a hacker taking over a colonial pipeline and then somebody's home can't be heated. What happened in Texas, right? When people literally died, froze because the resources weren't able to be, you know, for all intents and purposes, transmitted to where they needed to be. But information and data and having real-time connected devices, the IOT world we live in, the sensors, while they, to some folks, feel like it's a threat landscape expansion, it's also opportunity to innovate and transform. And I think you know better than anyone, Dave, that the government's always pushing that agenda, regardless who's in, you know, office. It's like, you know, how can we continue to motivate folks to share with government capabilities, capabilities that can help mitigate, in this case, climate risk? So I challenge all of our technologists uh, folks and friends who who sell into the government to treat it more like a seeker solver versus a buy sell transaction and say, go to the federal agencies. They're buying your stuff already, but now you can spin it towards getting them to think about the impact of climate on the very infrastructure data centers and how AI, um, you know, the cyber analytics, you know, the buzzwords. It's not a technology problem. It's how can technology meet that risk of climate change? I love the way you laid that out around, you know, physical security issues, cybersecurity issues, and climate security issues. And and then you overlaid on that, that this idea about risk. And I think that's a really important conversation to bring into the, the climate change topic, right? Because we've, we've done so much work over the last few years to try to help move ourselves from being a risk-averse set of organizations to an organization that are willing to accept some risk and manage it effectively. And, and that's clearly an approach that, that will be really helpful here too. As you survey the market and, you know, connect the dots of all the people that you connect with, are you seeing any successes or progress in government or in the federal industry space that, that, you know, we should be excited about and take comfort from? You know, Dave, I can provide a litany of use cases and the answer is yes. Uh, 
I, I have the opportunity to work with the smart cities communities at the state local level. So again, when we talk about this climate change, climate crisis, I know again, you and, and what we're trying to, you know, uh, socialize with an act IAC is that, Hey, you know, the recipients of all the funding, uh, the folks impacted are, are us. We go home at night. We are the ones who have to address or deal with what, what's actually happening, right? When we can't work or we don't have our Wi-Fi or the storm, or as I say, Mother Nature rains down, man, all things stop, right? It's fun to have a snow day, but after about a week, it's like, wait a minute, why isn't our utility back up and running? And that's when we see that infrastructure, the critical infrastructure is at risk. So I would say to everybody, the quickest answer is to take advantage of sustainability.gov. That is where every agency has their climate adaptation and resilience plans, also known as CAPS, C-A-P-S, that have documented use cases across all of the agencies. What the sustainability officers, of which there are 50, 5-0 in government, are using as that resource for people, government or industry or academia or entrepreneur or wherever and whenever, go read about what's been done for the last year and almost two years now. So I can bring up one, two, or three, but it's, it's amazing because I have read most of them. And I've just found that depending upon the agency mission, for the DOE, it could be grid, the power grid. How are we creating more resilient grid to keep the power on? For transportation, autonomous vehicles and making vehicles safer and you know, leveraging not just this, should we go EV or keep a fossil car you know, in the, uh, you know, on our roads, but how can we can create better highways and more safe and secure highways so that these, uh, in the vehicles, you know, and then the airplanes and all that good stuff. There's just so much you can consume and you have to understand it from, from those resources. So sustainability.gov, executive order 14057, sustainability officers in every agencies. And oh, shout out to the um, environmental justice screening and mapping tool at the EPA. Great tool to go and visit, as well as the climate and economic justice screening tool that the White House released. And these are resources for those folks who just want to learn or use as some sort of advantage to go in and say how their proper uh, capabilities can meet a, a federal mission. Excellent. We're going to take a short break now. And when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Pete Saronis, CEO of Dots and Bridges and longtime federal technology leader. I'm Dave Wintergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC. I'm Dave Wenergren, and we're discussing climate change issues and innovation in the federal technology market with Pete Saronis, founder and CEO of Dots and Bridges LLC, and former CTO at both the Departments of Energy and Department of Education, longtime federal technology leader, longtime innovator in the community. And when we, we left off, we were talking about progress we're seeing in the market. And, uh, and I thought maybe we could turn our attention now to, you know, you're one of the leaders of our ACTIA Climate Change Working Group. And I know there's some projects that are going to start up with that group and, and they're on some really fascinating topics. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the project that you're going to be taking on around climate research and high performance computing. Yes. Uh, uh, thanks again, Dave. Uh, I think for the audience, um, I, I'm going to throw out a few terms people hear about, but maybe don't appreciate enough their value to our country and our nation's research and development community. It's our national laboratories. Uh, there are 17. And this is where a lot of our supercomputing or high performance computing or exascale computing or soon our quantum computing really uh, gave birth or was given birth to so that we can 
as a country, you know, work with our international partners and challenge ourselves to challenge the future. And these are platforms that are, if you've ever seen one, uh, you know, they're, they could be as large as a basketball court. If you want to visualize, you know, if it was just fully covering the court itself, one supercomputer, and they have these cool names, uh, you can just Google that. But I encourage people to see the history of these, these devices. And they're still uh, today growing and, and getting faster and faster and faster. So high performance computing allows us to get answers quicker. And whether it's climate change, which again, absolutely is uh, being addressed through our supercomputing uh, ecosystem. The Department of Energy, just a factoid here, announced, um, I think it was January, yeah, January 19th here, a $1.8 million investment for its high performance computing for manufacturing program. And this is money that is uh, dedicated to working with government and industry to tackle you know, in this case, manufacturing and process streamlining, but looking at carbon footprint using advanced modeling, simulation and data analysis to kind of find those answers, those needles in the haystack to your question earlier, Dave, about, you know, what's the technology term or buzz around this? Look, it's the same stuff. It's more information, whether it's volume, velocity, variety, veracity of it. We're producing more data than we can today. And supercomputing gets those answers and quickers or insights faster, but we still have to dissect it and use the human brain to make sense of it so that it becomes information, data with values, information. So the faster the computer platform, the faster we get answers. And that's what's exciting. And we have an incredibly dedicated uh, community of researchers, right? And developers uh, because they work because it's the profession, but also with partners in industry. And we need that. That is true open government, right? Being participatory, collaborative, and transparent. So HPC will be one of the projects and it'll be focused on just the, the wonderful metrics that are, that are being um, crystallized. Places like NOAA, of course, the Department of Energy, DOD, DHS, uh, pick a sector, a supercomputer is probably providing those nuggets and factoids through the, the compute power. And we have to protect those from the climate crisis. Very good. And we talked about uh, the projects are launching soon. You can learn more about them by coming to the ACTIAC website. You can find that on the Federal News Network website. We'll give you more information at the end of the show on that. And then, as Pete's already mentioned, coming up on April 17th, ACTIAC will be holding its first climate change summit. So, Pete, lightning round question for you. What's one reason why folks should attend the summit? Oh, man, it's going to be, a, as I like to call, a day of education, information, and enlightenment. You will see, if you haven't already heard, the agenda will be just literally laced with academic um, national laboratory folks. We're going to have industry partners who eat, sleep, and drink the environment and climate. And then, of course, we'll have uh, a, a view from the government. We'll have some sustainability officers there. It's meant to be a come here to learn and walk away knowing you can jump in and help because this is to me and our team and Dave, of course, and ACT-IAC, we're kicking it off. This isn't a one and done. This is a, to get the, the, the folks who want to come out and learn to get involved. Now's the time. And we're super excited uh, about this day coming up in April. I love your enthusiasm. It makes me excited for the event, too. You know, th this work is hard, though, and particularly for large, complex organizations. And so I'm wondering, you know, it would be nice to just wave the wand and have everything happen. But but there are some challenges, I'm sure, that government is facing in trying to address these issues. What are some of the challenges that you see government facing in trying to make progress on this front that we should at least shine a light on? Yeah, and I'm not going to try to sound like everyone else saying, oh, we got to do more collaboration and talk to one another and you know, meet across the aisle. 
I can tell you having worked as a, a career senior executive civil servant, non-political, that, that man, it takes a lot of folks to want to even have a conversation. There are so many people in many of the agencies we're working who are so laser focused on climate change and, and what's happening and gathering data and working with last thing sometimes they want to hear is why is the CIO coming over here and asking me about, you know, this, that, and the other. Well, the reality is it's the opportunity to kind of understand what others are doing. We had a great session this past week, uh, you know, bringing the CFO and the CIO community. We hear that a lot, you know, from the CXO. It's one thing to say uh, a chief information officer, a chief financial officer, a researcher focused on climate um, need to be in a room having a conversation. Sometimes it's just, what, why do you want to play in this space? Well, here's the news flash. We're a, you talk zero trust and you don't trust any device in the environment. Well, a lot of those devices are monitoring our weather. A lot of those devices are collecting information. And my bet is a researcher and developer doesn't want that data compromised. So they need a CIO to say, here's how you can put on some better encryption. And that CIO needs to understand the mission and the criticality of some of those data sets. And that's where I think we see the formation of, wow, people really understand that climate change is a convening ecosystem or topic that needs to be addressed. And man, at the end of the day, there's no magic wand. It's not OMB or the White House or Congress saying, get in a room and figure it out and put a white paper together. I call it roll up your sleeves, do some of your own reading and homework. And whether you have a master's degree in climate or you're an analytics expert, we all want to just figure out how we can move the needle. And that's to me what is is needed now more than ever if, if people truly believe in those those principles of open government. I love where you took that answer and it made me think about, you know, you've spent so much of your energy in the market around trying to help bring more innovation to the federal market, more, you know, more new ideas, more new approaches to try to address the challenges that we all face. And so I just wonder, like, you know, I'll give you a chance to opine for a minute or so about, you know, what are some lessons learned that you've seen about finding innovative ideas bringing them to your agency and then actually making them stick. Yeah. Uh, that's again, a, I think opportunity knocking for our, our technology community. A lot of what um, I see is a gap and it's because I can't take the fed out of me is it is very hard to sell into the government. It's sometimes hard to buy. It's who's the right person to talk to. How do you in five minutes or 10 minutes when a federal employee is looking, you know, to their next meeting, are they going to grasp that this group in front of me might have the answer to my problem that I'm still trying to curate, you know, as an IT person to convince the folks who are in those political roles that we have a solution to mitigate risk. That was a mouthful, but that's to me, we're still in the cylinders of excellence. I think, unfortunately, where, you know, IT companies call on IT people. And I have this thing where I say, look, man, Risk needs to be mitigated, but opportunity to innovate cannot be ignored. And if we continue to think about cybersecurity and the sky is falling as a cost center versus it's an opportunity to innovate, I just lean on this, Dave. So anybody who sells into the government and it's a technology you know, product, AI, machine learning, cybersecurity, data analytics, predictive, an- all of that stuff is great. I always say my two favorite words are, for example, How are you as a company going to help me with my mission? And it starts there. A CIO's mission is different than a program lead in the Office of Energy Efficiency who's looking at data every every single day of the week. How is that conversation going to mesh? And I believe there's going to be no shortage 
of tools. I think in a world where we need very, very quick, simple, easy to consume bits, bytes, and insights, the conversations need to be quicker and more succinct so people's light bulbs go off and say, oh my gosh, I need to work with this product and this solution, and I have to do my part on the government side to give, give them the time. You have been so passionate about the role that people play in making this go and making sure that we have a workforce of leaders that are set for the future. We've, we've got about a minute left, and I wanted to ask you to leave us with two, two pieces of advice. One is, like, what's a climate ish initiative that people should have top of mind in the year ahead? And then what's some parting advice you'd like to offer our audience about the art of leadership in this space? Yeah, I, I think initiative climate, please read executive orders 14008 and 14057, just the first pages. That's what is my, with a little b, Bible. So to me, education cannot stop. Don't just read something in the Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg or watch it on Fox News or CNN. I mean, climate is around us and it's impacting. Sometimes when you watch at night, look who's getting you know, slammed by an ice storm. Look where the water levels are rising. The what ifs of New York City, if there's really a bad storm, what could happen? It's, you know, see what's, see where the puck's going potentially and how can we, you know, take advantage of the now and the really smart people to say, how can we kind of get a sense of, we don't want that to happen. Uh, and again, focus on critical infrastructure, structure, the stuff we depend on, not the agencies. This is a humanizing point in time and inflection point for everybody. As far as leadership goes, look, man, I, I don't have a degree in this stuff. Again, I lean on talking, engaging. I call researchers and I say, what is this thing you're working on and why does it matter? I think whether you're a GS7 in government or just starting out calling on the beltway or a seasoned executive, there is always room to learn and to be smarter or at least be around people who are smarter than you. We hear that a lot. But this is an opportunity to just tap into that curiosity everybody has so you can make good decisions or at least be inspired to go to events like the one in April and come out saying, I want to help. Pete Saronis is the founder and CEO of Dots and Bridges LLC, a former federal CTO and an industry leader of the ACT IAC Climate Change Working Group. Pete, thank you for all the outstanding work that you're doing, for being a bridge that connects innovative spirits across the federal technology market, and for taking the time to join us today. We're going to take a short break now, and when we return, we'll be continuing our climate change discussions with Vera Ashworth, Amy Norgren Salfi, and Darby Chellis. I'm Dave Wenergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government brought to you by ACTIAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC. I'm Dave Wendergren, and on today's show, we're discussing the federal government's technology efforts in addressing climate issues. I'm delighted to be joined by three guests for this portion of the show. Vera Ashworth is Chief of Staff for the National Telecommunications and Information Administration CIO at the Department of Commerce. She's a longtime industry executive and a government leader of the ACT-IAC Climate Change Working Group. Welcome to the show, Vera. Good morning, Dave. Amy Norgren Salfi is the Chief Strategy Officer at Excel Technologies LLC and an industry leader for the ACTIA Climate Change Working Group. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. And Darby Chellis Bade is Vice President, EPA Programs and Executive Lead for Climate Change Initiatives at General Dynamics Information Technology and another industry leader of the ACTIA Climate Change Working Group. Welcome to the show, Darby. Thanks, Dave. I'm so happy to be here. 
And we're delighted to have all of you here with us. We're going we're gonna to start off by learning a little bit more about each of you, and then we'll talk about this top-of-mind topic of climate change, which is not just a national imperative, but we'll say a worldwide imperative. Vera, it's great to have you on the show, and thank you for your leadership of so many things at ACT-IAC and in the technology community over the years. Let's start with you. Why don't you just give us a little background about you and the job that you're at and what your current organization is working on? Well, um, and Dave, I'm here in my personal capacity. So while I do work at NTIA um, and I'm a federal employee right now um, with the Climate Change Working Group, I'm here in my own personal capacity and volunteering. Why am I so passionate about this? You know, I did grow up in a Navy town uh, or Navy family. So I grew up in uh, Virginia coastal communities and California. Um, And I also was a Girl Scout, so I spent a lot of time uh, hiking and camping and learning how to be a good steward of the environment. I was fortunate for about 25 years of my career to uh, work at or support the Environmental Protection Agency. And and that was really great because it married up my personal and uh, professional interests. And so I've rolled up my sleeves from a volunteer standpoint to help stand up the climate change working group. Excellent. Amy, tell us a little bit about your role at Excel Technologies and some of the things the company is working on that you're excited about. Sure. Um, Excel Technologies is a woman-owned small business that works primarily at the U.S. Forest Service, providing cybersecurity, organizational resilience, and CIO strategy services. I am the new chief strategy officer there. Um, at Excel. I, I uh, bring with me three decades of experience at a large government contractor working in the environmental policy and technology space, including supporting climate and leading teams at EPA, transportation, interior, DOD, and parts of DHS such as FEMA. So my undergraduate and graduate degrees are in environmental and natural resource policy. I first studied what was then termed the greenhouse effect in 1985 and have been passionate about this issue ever since. Here we are almost 40 years later and climate change now poses an existential threat to our nation and our global security. So to me, there is no more important issue to work on. Frankly, this is why we have government to pool our resources, skills, and intelligence to attack big, hairy problems that we would not be able to solve individually. So I'm really excited to be working with this summit. Yes, it is super important work. Darby, why don't you tell us a little bit about your role at GDIT and what are some of the things that you and the company are working on that you're excited about? Yeah, so first let me start off by saying it's so exciting to be working with Amy and Vera on this um, summit because we all share the same passion for climate initiatives and uh, for addressing climate climate challenges. Um, To say that this has been my life's work is a little bit of an understatement. It's all I've really ever done. From the time I was in middle school and high school, I interned at the National Aquarium in Baltimore, um, and I did water quality testing for the state of Maryland. Uh, By the time I got to college, um, right after, it sounds like Amy did, I um, created my own environmental science degree where I focused on water quality and atmospheric science. And then I ended up getting my master's in information technology. Um, I've worked in this field, specifically this field, since graduating from college. So that's nearly three decades. And I'm just really, really grateful that I've had the opportunity to support and build my career um, serving customers supporting environmental missions. At GDIT, I am the VP for the EPA business area. 
And that means I run over 15 prime contracts supporting EPA, and I also support uh, cross-agency and cross-GDIT climate initiatives. Very good. Darby, we'll stick with you and then we'll bring Vera and Amy back in on this question as well. But, you know, climate change is such an immense topic. And I'll say as three of our leaders for the ACT-IAC Climate Change Working Group, why is this topic of climate change so important today for the federal government and the broader federal technology market? Oh, my gosh. There are just so many important climate initiatives across the federal government that require focus, attention, collaboration, um, and coordination from water security and greenhouse gas tracking at EPA to greening the supply chain across all federal agencies to federal fleet electric electrification, say that five times, initiatives at GSA, um, addressing, preparing for, responding to, and recovering um, from increasingly severe and costly disasters at FEMA and clean and renewable energy production at DOE. They're just a handful of so many examples of why it's so important to get together to talk about these initiatives, to collaborate on best practices, and to help push them all forward. That's a great list. Vera, what what would you like to add on to that list? Um, I would love to add, you know, the federal government is the largest energy consumer in the United States. Um, And that means we're one of the largest contributors to greenhouse gas emissions. And so as a large uh, purchaser, we do have the power to impact the market and the supply chains, as Darby had mentioned. And so as part of our working group, I know it's not necessarily a sexy topic to talk about um, IT acquisitions um, when it comes to climate, but we really do have the opportunity to have a lasting impact and make uh, a change. So one other thing I wanted to mention about the working group is uh, this is so important. We have four leaders um, to our climate change working group. So Beth Kaloran is the other federal co-chair. She was unable to be with us here today. She's the DEP CIO at GSA. Um, and I did want to also mention that as a working group, we don't want to duplicate efforts, right? We're here to educate, amplify, and kind of connect the community. All right. Amy, would you like to pile onto that question? Well, I'll just say one issue that is critically important, but sometimes overlooked, is the extent to which climate change impacts our national security and the nexus there. Um, And this is an issue that um, DOD has been working on for years, regardless of the administration that was in office. Um, It's uh, DOD needed to consider the impact of extreme weather events and sea level rise on their installations and on their ports. Um, But at the same time, our commanders and allies and partners uh, face increased global instability in societies that are strained by desertification and food shortages, also new accessible sea channels in the Arctic, uh, and the increased demands for humanitarian assistance worldwide. So climate change is not just a domestic issue. It's definitely an international issue and a national security issue. Very good. We're going to stick with you for a minute, Amy. Um, You know, what are some successes or some progress that you're seeing in government or industry on this topic that you're excited about? Hmm. Well, so much. Um, I would say that um, climate change, uh, the GSA, for instance, here's a good example. Um, the government and private sector have really paired up to focus on the energy, environment, and infrastructure benefits that result from a transition 
from government-owned data centers to commercially-owned cloud facilities. You know, that could be a dangerous transition if we didn't handle it appropriately. Uh, but government and private sector are looking at the importance of citing sustainable data centers, considering the energy source of the data centers, and making sure that that massive um, computing power that's kind of owned by the federal government is not going to add to our um, climate problem, but can be part of how the federal government paves the way to achieve a net zero economy. Very good. We're going to get back to Vera and Darby on that question, but we're going to need to take a short break right now. When we return, we'll continue our conversation with Vera Ashworth, Chief of Staff for the NTIA CIO, Amy Nordgren Southie, Chief Strategy Officer at Excel Technologies, and Darby Chellis Bay, Vice President at GDIT. I am Dave Wenergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. I'm Dave Wenergren, and we're talking about innovation and application with climate change leaders and advocates. Vera Ashworth, Chief of Staff for the NTIA-CIO, Amy Norgren-Southie, Chief Strategy Officer at Excel Technologies, and Darby Chellis-Bade, Vice President of General Dynamics Information Technology. As we were going to break, we were talking a little bit about progress that we're seeing in the federal government and the federal marketplace, and we gave Amy a chance to weigh in. And so coming back from break, why don't we move to you, Darby, and then Vera about some other successes that you're seeing in the marketplace. Thanks, Dave. Um, One thing I wanted to mention is the private sector is really um, recognizing the importance of sustainability and of greenhouse gas emission disclosures and its collective impact on climate change. So in 2021, um, 80% of the S&P 500 companies worth over 28 trillion dollars in the market capitalization disclosed climate data to the CDP. And uh, the government is now using that climate data to lay the groundwork for more consistent reporting through proposed FAR rules and SEC climate-related disclosure requirements. Um, For example, General Dynamics publicly reports greenhouse gas emissions and its approach to climate change and uh, scored an A- on the climate, the CDP in 2021. Um, Overall, this focus of the industry is helping the government better understand its footprint and the footprint of its suppliers and drive innovations to reduce emissions. Very good. Vera, how about you? Progress that you're seeing? Well, I think um, it probably goes without saying, but I think I should say it anyway. Um, There are several executive orders uh, that have uh, the administration has taken undertaken. So if you go to sustainability.gov, you can actually get to those um, executive orders and you can read the federal sustainability plan. Um, So I highly recommend that folks do that if they haven't already. Another interesting and exciting thing that's happening on the government side is collaboration at uh, climate.gov, which is led by NOAA. And so it's really, it's a cross-government data and website initiative. There are four areas if you go visit the website, one with news and features, one with maps and data. Uh, There's also a teaching climate um, section there. So if if you want to teach about climate, you can get some access to materials there. And then there's this really great toolkit. Uh, so it's climate mapping for resilience and adaptation 
toolkit. So the reason I'm raising that up is on the industry side, you may be thinking, oh, let's go run and build something. Well, there's a lot of things that are already out there and have been built. So go get educated. Take a look at, at the success that's already been had across um, the federal government. All right. Well, I'd like to thank all of you for your leadership of the Climate Change Working Group. And uh, and there are some projects that are getting launched by that working group that I think will be of interest to our audience. So, so Vera, I'm going to turn to you to give us a little bit of a sense about what's going on with those projects. But I will also note for the audience that you can find the links that Vera was talking about on the Federal News Network website after the show. So, Vera, what, what about the projects that the Climate Working Group is taking on? Great. Um, so we just launched the working group uh, late last year, um, and we have three projects up and running. And um, and one of them is on climate additions to the FAR, which we have uh, discussed a little bit. And so that's really about harnessing that massive purchasing power of the federal government. Um, so there are, uh, there are three FAR changes that are underway. Um, and so educating and equipping folks to be able to respond to those is, is one part of our focus there. And the a second one is climate and clouds. And it's really looking at a thoughtful approach to data center siting and energy use. So um, we do churn up a lot of energy with our technology. And so really being mindful about that. And then third, I believe that you had our other colleague, Pete Saronis, um, who is helping lead the uh, high performance computing project where it's collaboration across the government on uh, data integration, analytics and HPC. All great opportunities to get engaged and you can learn more about that by checking out the website. Uh, we're going to do a lightning round question now for each of you. On April 17th, ACDIAG will be holding its first climate change summit. What's one reason why folks should attend? We'll start with you, Darby. What's one reason why you think folks should attend the Climate Change Summit? Technology is absolutely integral to um, helping government address climate initiatives, climate challenges from zero trust to 5G, even quantum computing. We're going to talk about a lot of these things, about a lot of the ways that technology can support solving climate challenges um, at the summit. Very good. Amy, what's the reason why you think folks should attend the summit? Connections and collaboration, Dave, um, because as you know, climate change has been unfortunately politicized as an issue over the decades. The federal funding for climate research uh, has been choppy and uneven. And as a result, we have pockets of greatness and success all over levels of the federal, state, local, and especially academia and private sector. Um, but what we need to do is improve at bringing these programs together into an integrated ecosystem where we can amplify impactful programs and research. So we're hoping that we can make some connections at this summit um, to support that kind of collaboration and amplification. And Vera, what's a, what's a reason to come to the summit? Oh, there's so many. Um, I should have mentioned at the start, our executive sponsor for this work group, uh, working group and keynote speaker will be Ann Duncan, who is the CIO at Department of Energy. Uh, so she's been dedicated in this area throughout her career. So you don't want to miss that. Um, we will also hear from folks in the administration at CEQ and also at um, OMB. So we can hear what the administration is focused on, as well as across federal agencies. The other thing I'm really excited about is we want to hear from states and localities. Um, so a former Fed colleague of mine actually is um, uh, one of the deputy mayors at um, in L.A., in California. So we're hoping to hear from, from uh, both state and local folks as well. 
And um, as Amy mentioned, you know, it's it's creating that ecosystem. It's making connections. We're working really hard to put this summit together with lots of space for Q&A. So you won't just be talked at during the summit. You will have an opportunity to engage um, with your colleagues, both in industry and government. We have a little over a minute left, and I'd love for you to be able to offer some parting advice, perhaps a, what's a climate change initiative that our audience of government and industry technology practitioners should have top of mind in the year ahead. So we'll, we'll go around. We'll start with you, Amy. Then we'll go Darby. We'll give Vera the last word in about a minute or so. You can split up the time. Amy, what's an initiative people should have top of mind going forward? Well, uh, the White House Office of, of Science and Technology Policy will go straight to the top. They've laid out a vision for a science-led, evidence-based, sensor and satellite-enabled effort for direct measuring, monitoring, and reporting of greenhouse gas emissions. I can't think of anything more exciting for industry to be involved in. Very good. Darby, over to you. Justice 40. It aims to target 40% of the overall benefits of specific federal investments to flow to disadvantaged communities that are marginalized, that are underserved, and are overburdened by pollution. It's an aggressive cross-government effort with major impacts, and one we'll be um, talking about at the summit. Very good. Vera, we'll give you the last word. I would like to encourage everyone to go to EPA's website and take a look. They have recommendations um, of specification standards and eco-labels for federal purchasing. And so we're going to try to get them at the summit as well. But please check out their website and what they're doing there. Vera Ashworth is the Chief of Staff for the NTI-CIO at the Commerce Department. Amy norgren Safi is Chief Strategy Officer at Excel Technologies. Darby chellis Bade is Vice President, EPA Programs and Executive Lead for Climate Change Initiatives at GDIT. All our outstanding executives and all our leaders of the ACT-IAC Climate Change Working Group, thank you all for joining us today. The ACT-IAC Climate Change Summit will take place on April 17th at the Kerasoft Conference Center in Reston, Virginia. Spearheaded by ACT-IAC's Climate Change Working Group, the summit will spotlight the administration's efforts to improve, preserve, and protect America's public health and environment and address policies, programs, and partnerships to advance sustainability and climate-resilient operations. And as you heard here today, a lot of fascinating and important topics that will be covered there. Also, on March the 21st, we'll be holding the Shared Services Summit in Arlington, Virginia. The summit is, is in its seventh year and is produced in partnership by ACT-IAC and the Shared Services Leadership Coalition. This year's theme is Breaking Out of the Box to Achieve Performance Breakthroughs. If you'd like to register for either event, check out the Federal News Network website or go to our website, www actiac.org. Advancing the application of technology to address climate change issues, just like our guests today, are outstanding examples of accelerating government mission outcomes through collaboration, leadership, and education. I'm Dave Wintergren, and you've been listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Thanks for listening to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Accelerating Government on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts.